Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Today I have a very special guest, Casey Johnson. Uh, Casey, I don't know if you know this, but I think your career started at the Chicago Tribune very closely to when I became a Bulls fan. And so I actually associate you with the Chicago Bulls and my Bulls experience more so than anyone else, including Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen, which is sort of a, a weird thing. But uh, you're the first beat writer I ever read, and I've kind of like followed your work religiously over the last, God, it's going to be 20 something years now. And uh, so I'm just so thrilled you, you took some time out of your day to join the show. How is uh, how's life treating you? Well, Doug, uh, good to be with you. And uh, you call it a weird thing. I would call it a pathetic thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, look, I, I, you know, I've, I've started to become comfortable with my uh, uh, somewhat elder statesman status on the beat. I can never claim full elder statesman status because obviously Sam Smith is still doing great work at, at bulls.com. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this a long time and I appreciate everybody who's followed me along the way, including my, with my career change from, uh, from the Chicago Tribune to, to NBC Sports Chicago. And, and I got a lot of respect for, for, for guys who've been, you know, doing stuff like you've been doing on the periphery, um, you know, for, for as long as you have bloggable would be another one, you know, that's just, you guys have been doing this, you know, at first kind of on the margins and now it's part of more of the mainstream media. So it's, you're, you're part of the, the bulls community as well. So it's uh, you know, look, there's, I always say, you know, it's funny cause you, you form, you, you associate me with like your bulls fandom and all that stuff. But I, you know, as someone who's uh, observed the beat as closely as I have for two decades, I, I always say to everyone who asks me, this is by far the most fertile period for bulls writing that, that there ever has been. I mean, you've got so many different places you can go to, to get great bulls perspective. And I, I'm just happy that I still have a platform to, to do what I do uh, in, in that realm. Yeah. It, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And I could talk to you probably all day about the changes in, I guess the way we consume media because, and, and certainly as being an old newspaper guy, initially you've, you've experienced that firsthand, but uh, maybe we need to get onto some actual bulls talk and I'll start off with, it's just kind of new. And I don't know if you've actually digested it yet, but they just announced like new COVID protocols. It seems like some players aren't necessarily happy about them. And, you know, just like from a high level, what do you think the feel like with the Bulls players are about everything going on with the different COVID protocols? And we had a few guys who were, were out and, you know, the league is canceling games. And you know, all of a sudden it's becoming a little bit more difficult to manage. And probably unlike the NFL where you, you have kind of a week off between games, you know, in the NBA, you know, anyone tests positive and it, it becomes like a, a pretty big deal. Right. Well, so as a stickler for uh, accuracy, I will say that they're not canceling games or postponing games. Ah, so yes. That, that would be one thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is, uh, you know, not to downplay this at all, because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of like a crazy man when it comes to the virus. I'm, I'm super vigilant and super scared. <laughs> so I would be on the alarmist end of this. Maybe not. I'm having a little bit of fun. I'm not quite alarmist. I do live my life a little bit, but I, 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 I take it very seriously. So, um, but what I would say is none of this is surprising the league. Um, the, the, and that's why that distinction I just made is, is, is a big one. Um, they, they obviously baked this into the schedule. They didn't even release the second half of the schedule. They knew postponements were going to happen. They knew positive cases were going to happen. 
particularly knew uh, come January that this would be a difficult month because, you know, players did spend some time with families over the holidays, et cetera. So similar to, you know, what we're seeing around the, the world and around the country, um, there's, a, there's a surge in cases right now. Um, you know, the league's contention is if you look at what happened when they first came back uh, for camp, there were, I think, 48 positive tests in that first initial testing and then that dropped. Point being, when you're around daily testing and when you're around the need for protocols, um, you know, you can, you can contact trace and you can snuff out the problem. So they, the, the least contention is once they get through this difficult period, they're going to get back to more manageable numbers. And obviously the postponements are high profile right now and they're, and they're growing. This is a difficult month. There's no getting around it. And yeah, they're asking the players to do a lot, but um, this is the price you pay for trying to hold a season outside of a bubble. And the bubble, uh, while obviously foolproof and worked amazingly, was even a bigger sacrifice than what they're asking them to do right now. I'm not discounting what the players have to do. Um, it's a lot, but we're all going through a lot with this pandemic. So, um, you know, I, I personally have always been, I was really skeptical the bubble was going to work and then I was wrong. And, um, you know, I, I thought this season would be difficult and it is. But I think it's been clear with the other sports examples that these professional sports leagues are also just going to push through. So I do think you're going to see a 2021 NBA champion crown at some point. Yeah, I, I think that'll definitely be true too. And I, I don't know if I'm in the minority of this because it's a, it's a weird political issue, but I'm all for just like vaccinating all professional athletes as essential workers. And I, I, I it might be odd to some people, but to me, it's like, LeBron James is, is providing entertainment to tens, maybe hundreds of millions of people. Like the impact of that is just very large. And it's a very small number of vaccines you need to give out to like, keep the whole league whole and like the value to the entertainment or value of entertainment to the American public, I think is, is worth that number of like 500 vaccines or whatever it ends up being. But uh, all the leagues I think have said, we are not going to jump the line. We're not going to do that. And, uh, you know, I think politically that makes sense, even though, man, I really wish all these guys could get vaccinated. Um, but we'll see, we'll see how they work out. We do know that, uh, Larry Markinen and, uh, Ryan Archidakino returned to practice after being in the COVID protocol. My understanding is that neither of these guys tested positive, that it was just, uh, Sato and, uh, and Hutchison that tested positive. And now that they're back at practice, the Bulls are going to have some interesting rotation discussions because I don't know that I want to say it was causal because I think Larry Markkinen was maybe the Bulls' best player prior to going out. But the team seemed to function considerably better uh, right around the time he went out and uh, Thaddeus Young came back. And now uh, it actually looks like the Bulls have a lot of depth and they're going to figure out where Lowry's minutes are going to come from as he returns. Uh, Who do you see moving, I guess, out of – the rotation to, to make room for around 30 minutes a game for Lowry to play? No, it's a great question. And we're obviously already presuming like uh, potential problems even before they arise. Cause that's kind of our reflex reaction. Yeah. Like the Bulls. But no, and I would actually, um, we can get into this in a second, but I would extend this to style of play because, you know, I think one thing that's defined the offense, you know, obviously other than Zach Levine kind of, you know, getting his or whatever, but is is Lowry doesn't really have his ability the ability to to create his own shot. So the Bulls have actually, you know, at the start of games were actually running a lot for Lowry. And I think what defined this offensive stretch, and I think we can all agree that they played good offensive basketball through the first eleven games, other than the turnover issues. Um, you know, the defense has been the main issue uh, and some rebounding problems as well. But 
um, is, is just the style of play that, you know, they, they share the ball, they move the ball. Um, so that'll be another wrinkle of this, you know, how do you reacclimate Lowry who isn't a great self-shot creator kind of needs stuff run for him. And I agree with you. It was working very well in those first three games. So that'll be another thing I'll have my eye on, but to answer your question, Doug, I would say uh, my guess will be Gafford. Um, you know, I think Thad has just played so well. Um, he's so obviously clearly comfortable back in, in his preferred role. Um, and it's also clear to me that, that Billy Donovan likes leaning on veterans for the, that stabilizing presence. Um, so I, I personally think you'll see Gafford's minutes drop, particularly if you want to you know, keep Lowry with those reserve uh, minutes at center um, in that small ball lineup with the, that wing heavy lineup that I think was pretty effective in those first three games. Um, you know, I, I know Thad kind of assumed that role and, and played some some five in some small ball lineups. So I think you may, maybe you'll see a way where uh, Gafford will may, remain in the rotation and, and Lowry just will, you know, play strictly starters minutes and, and not get that rotational turn with the second unit while, while getting some center minutes. All that is to be determined, and I don't know the answer to it. So we're all—I'm just speculating, like speculating, like everybody else. But certainly, yeah, Lowry's uh, reacclimation uh, will be the the dominant storyline moving forward here as as he gets back on the court. Yeah, I think Gafford is the obvious loser in this scenario. He had, he had a couple really nice games where he provided a lot of energy, but consistently lack of defensive rebounding. I don't know. I don't feel his defensive rotations are always so great, and. He's not really adding anything except for open dunks uh, and offensive rebounds. Like he, he just seems like the guy who probably loses compared to like Otto Porter or Thad Young. Uh, not, I mean, not to be down on Gafford. I, I think he's a, a solid backup center, but he seems to be a little bit less important than those other guys. And to your, your point about uh, preference towards veteran players and the, the overall movement and, and execution of the offense definitely seems much better. And I think we'll have a similar conversation when uh, Tomas Sedaransky comes back because you know, Garrett Temple really played excellently and, and kind of stepped in like right around the time Tomas uh, moved back. Do you think, do you think there'll be any, uh, I guess, will, will Garrett potentially take over Sato's spot or is that going to be another point where it just depends who's playing well that night? Like, how do you see that, that reintegration going a little bit further down the line? I guess Denzel Valentine is the odd man out in that. I mean, Denzel's yeah. kind of uh, grabbed some minutes here. And, and you know, you, you, I know he can be a polarizing figure amongst the fan base, but there's moments where I think he's actually played pretty well. Um, uh, it's, you know, Billy's actually praised him a couple times unsolicited post game with his ball movement. And obviously he has a shooting component, but I, I think you can play both Temple and Sadoransky in that wing heavy lineup. So I, I think Denzel would be the odd man out there. Um, you know, I was actually looking at some advanced stats this morning for something I'm working on for NBCSportsChicago.com, and Temple is like part of every positive net rating lineup the Bulls have. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but he—he—it's clear. Just watching that guy play, and I think you—I'd I, guess you'd agree with me. Um, He—he's he, just one of those guys that just makes players better. He's just a stabilizing guy. Obviously, you know, knockdown shooter from three. He's at forty percent um, for this year solid team defender, uh, pretty good individual defender, versatile defender. So um, I think you got to keep playing that guy. And then, yeah, Sato was off to a good start before his unfortunate uh, positive COVID test. Um, so I, I personally think Denzel will be the man, odd man out there. So that's that's kind of where I'm guessing the rotation falls on that one. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense too. And I, I actually think Denzel is I, it's never very high on what Denzel's been able to bring. And he's he's been hurt so much. And you know, a lot of that maybe is not his fault. But I, I've actually thought he's played really well. And, and one component I really like that he brings, which maybe is a little underlooked or underrated, is he's a really good rebounder. And sometimes uh, the Bulls struggle on that end, but he, especially for a guard, like he, he really gets in and uh, rebounds the basketball well. But it's it's hard to argue that you could let Temple go out. I think the one thing we've seen is, as Bulls fans so used to watching this sort of young group of players is when we actually have veteran players that can play both sides of the ball, like Thad, Sato, uh, Otto, you know, playing more minutes, like it's amazing how much better the team looks. Right. When you right. have these experienced guys. And I think, I think Donovan definitely will, will probably rightly lean on them. Uh, one topic I want to discuss, you put out on NBC sports.com and I, I don't know if you're the only one, but uh, the difference between the contract negotiations between Lowry and the bulls was about $4 million. And uh, I am going to guess that you're not going to break any news on my show saying, you know, exactly where those numbers are that you'd save that for, for NBC sports. But uh, and maybe we don't know the exact numbers, but do you have any guesses as to how close, like where you think each team was aligned? You know, I think the, the initial rumor out there, and I don't know how valid this was, was the Bulls started out at 11 million a season and Lowry was at 20 million a season. And I, I'm just curious if you have any personal guesses as to where maybe that was. Uh, I, I don't think the 11 million was accurate. Uh, I never, I never, the, th- the thing about saying specific numbers is I would say, I, I don't, I don't have, um, you just don't know how much further the negotiations were to go. So, I mean, it's, I think it's unfair to say specific numbers because it was a fluid situation. Um, but I think, you know, look, if you look at what, uh, what Lowry, um, you know, values uh, in terms, if you look at what, um, if you look at what like a guy like Berton signed for, I mean, you, you would, I would think that you would be smart in guessing that Lowry was looking for around 20 million a year. So I think that number is probably pretty accurate. Um, so you can do the math from there. I mean, you know, if they were 4 million apart, I do know that again, things were fluid. So you don't know how much, if they'd kept negotiating, if they would have got closer. Um, I think it's been pretty well documented that the bulls handle restricted free agents by setting the number and then saying, take it or leave it. Obviously this is a new regime, so you can't, you know, use previous examples, even though I did, you know, with the Jimmy Butler example being the most uh, famous. Um, but, uh, you know, Arturis, uh, when he explained the situation, said that, you know, cap flexibility next year is important to him. So my guess is that he set a number and said, this is it. And they agreed to table it till, till next summer. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think 11 was, would, be, would be, probably be too low for, for the Bulls. Yeah, I, I think 11 is insulting enough that you just don't offer it. You know, yeah. If you get to that point, you just say, yeah, you know what? Let's just wait a year and uh, see how you bounce back. You know, we, we believe in you and we don't want to insult you with an offer, at, you know, based on your last year. Uh, but we're not going to pay you as if we know for sure you're going to bounce back either, you know, and, and just say you table the discussion. So I, I think you're probably right there. And uh, 16 and 20 was kind of my guess, uh, just blind guess as to where they landed only because you know, I, I look at put, putting myself in each person's shoes. Like those numbers make sense to me for each side. Like I could see why the bulls wouldn't go above 16. I can see why Lowry wouldn't take less than 20. Uh, like, like there's some reasonability to both sides and, you know, kind of to our point we were discussing earlier about Lowry on the court, it, it's questionable to me, like how well he's going to fit in just because I view him as a, an offensive endpoint. Like he, like you said, he doesn't initiate a lot of offense. He doesn't actually move the ball a whole lot. 
you know, he's, he's a good scorer and a good finisher of the offense, but it's, it's harder to integrate guys like that sometimes, or their value isn't quite as high as guys who can facilitate the offense up front, who can move the ball a little better or who do that. But then they also add a lot on the defensive end. And I'm not sure that, that Lowry kind of checks that box um, going forward. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on Lowry's uh, defense so far this season? Uh, do you think I mean, he's played a lot more center? I feel this season. Do you think he has any role, I guess, as a, as a center going forward and um, how he can fit into a better defense for the Bulls in the future? I mean, it was such a small sample size, but yeah, I mean, I think the the knock on him being a minus defender is is probably still accurate to this point. I mean, I think he's, you know, I, I will say one thing that I think Lowry doesn't get enough credit for is I think he's a pretty strong defensive rebounder, uh, particularly in traffic. I think, you know, the knock of him maybe not being as physical as he might want is a little overstated because I've seen him kind of get in the mix and, and grab some some rebounds in traffic. So I, I think his defensive rebounding numbers are pretty solid. Um so that's obviously part of defense, but you know the thing about Lowry, this is why he can be such a polarizing player because I, everything you said about him, I agree with. But then also you just say to yourself, seven foot shooter, you know. It's like, yeah. I mean, I, just in the the theory of him is just such, um, you know, is is just such a matchup nightmare, right? Um, but you know, he had he. I actually think he hasn't he hasn't really lived up to the the shooting thing. I mean, he's it's not like he's a knockdown shooter he's just got the ability to shoot from that distance and obviously get hot occasionally and and defenses have to respect that so it's I can I can it didn't surprise me at all I didn't reach an extension because the the range of his value and you know it kind of matches like the range of his potential versus his actual production right and and you know the the risk I think that the Bulls are taking and obviously they lived it with the the Butler example I already mentioned is you know, with, with so many teams with cap space next summer and, and the free agency pool, you know, kind of drying up, you know, if he does have a good year, they're, they're going to be paying him a lot, but they obviously have the ability to match. So that's something they're going to be comfortable deciding next summer. So uh, like a lot of with Lowry marketing, it's a t- to be determined situation. <laughs> sure. And going back, I guess to, you know, you mentioned Arturis, we're kind of guessing as to how he might operate. Uh I would say from, from my perspective, you seem to have been very plugged in with the old uh, regime, you know, with Paxson and uh, Foreman um, and, and have like a, a pretty good rapport with those guys. It kind of feels like no one has a good rapport yet with our tourists. I don't know if that will come with time or if, if he's just going to be a, a Krausian, uh, you know, cards to the vest type of guy and, and not really have that relationship with anyone. How's it been so far when you're, you're talking with Mark and our tourists compared to, uh, Gar and Pax in the, in the past regime? Well, you obviously can't answer that question without uh, introducing the element of the pandemic, which has just obviously made our jobs, uh, added a layer to our jobs that is just very unnatural. And again, great grand scheme of things. I'm, this is not a complaint at all. And this is a freaking global pandemic. Yeah, that is of course. And destruction and economic ruin. So the fact that I cannot get into gym and have face-to-face time with our tourist card show and Mark Eversley is a very small thing in the grand scheme of things. However, it is my job and it's just different. So um, I think your assessment is right. I, the thing I would always say about, uh, you know, my relationship with John Paxson and Gar Foreman is that people have to understand that, you know, I first met John Paxson when he was, when he was an assistant coach, then I also worked literally alongside of him 
uh, when he was a radio analyst that I would, you know, back then beat writers sat courtside right next to Neil and John uh, at every road game. So, I mean, John and I knew each other intimately, uh, you know, well before he was an executive for the Bulls. And then you, you, when you cover a regime for as long as I covered that regime, you not only know them personally, but you also start to understand how they're going to think professionally. So a lot of like this assumption that I was like plugged in or tight was really just common sense. I mean, I, I just, you just knew how those guys were going to, um, you know, address a lot of situations. And it was so informed, it was basically informed speculation, which at the end of the day, you know, obviously reporting is a big part of what we do, but it's also just informed speculation. And so, yes, I do not have that body of work with Arturis and Mark and nobody does. So it's not even so much that, you know, what's he going to be like or what have you, we just don't, we, he's never been in this role. So we don't have a body of work to analyze and, and kind of go off of. So, um, you know, I, what I would say is have uh, to the point that I've gotten to know him and to the point I've watched him make decisions. Uh, I, it's how it's already kind of become cliche amongst bulls fans, but I do think he's a pretty deliberate, um, but also a regimented decision maker. I mean, I think the Boylan example would be the big one there. And then, you know, the Patrick Williams one, those are the two big decisions you have to look at to this point. Um, you know, uh, so, I, you know, I got wind of the Patrick Williams thing uh, from working outside the, um, the organization. Um, you know, the, that speculation that the Bulls were in on him was, was pretty widespread throughout the league because obviously a lot of teams talk to each other to do draft intel. Um, so, you know, there's, there's still ways to figure out how they're going to approach things, but yeah, I mean, my, it's funny that you brought up the Krausian thing, because I actually have used that example. I mean, I don't know Arturis very well yet, but it does seem like he's going to be a little bit more, um, closed off in, in terms of, of media dealings and, and the pandemic obviously is in for, affording him that opportunity to this point. So we'll see, uh, it's early and, uh, once we get past the pandemic and get some gym time, uh, the opinions might change. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I hadn't even considered until this moment that you brought it up is that so many of those conversations when you're working with anyone, be it in, in your industry, my industry, whatever, you have the meeting and that's like the thing that's on Zoom. But then right after the meeting, you have a side conversation. And, and a lot of times like the stuff really happens in that side conversation. And you don't have that opportunity in the pandemic to have that side conversation anymore. And and not it, only that, like it's it, it to me, it's just even casual conversation yeah. start to form. It, it's not even like you're not. It's not. It's not always like just pulling guys aside for like confidential information pumping yeah. sessions. What it is is like you start to understand how somebody views the world, views the league, etc., by just having casual conversations with people. I mean, that's just all about relationship building, right? That's like the tenet of what we do as journalists and as reporters. So. Um, yeah, that's completely gone. Um, not completely. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's been some moments over the his tenure of, for some private conversations, but they're just, they're fewer and far, far between. And, uh, you know, this is just not normal. So once we get to 21, 22, and then we've seen like two cycles of his work, two draft processes, two free agency processes, and hopefully we're all back in gyms and then you'll start to obviously have a better understanding. Yeah, of course. That, that makes complete sense to me. Like I said, I hadn't considered it, but I do think of, you know, a large part of what I do in life is relationship building and in my work. And 
the relationships aren't be- built in the the meetings where you're discussing the, the the questions. They're they're built over taking someone to coffee or you know getting lunch, whatever the equivalent is, and and just getting to know people and building some level of trust and you know them getting to understand you as a person and where you're at and you understanding them. So I I totally see where that is. That is something that does not carry forward over Zoom very well. And, and maybe a problem as a society we'll have to technologically figure out a way to solve, you know, over, over the future if things uh, continue. We do know that Arturis has been fairly conservative. I guess I would phrase it that way to start off his Bulls tenure. You know, you look at what happened. Uh, Bulls were pretty, I guess, uh, disappointing, we'll say, last year. A lot of people pinned a lot of that on Jim Boylan, who's been replaced. I, I don't think that was a particularly aggressive move, given his, his low salary. Getting a, a really top-notch head coach in Donovan was 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 seemed great to me. But then you get to the players themselves, and you know we effectively added Garrett Temple, and we let Chris Dunn and Shaq Harrison go, and that, that's sort of like the and used our draft pick on whomever they thought was best, and that, that's sort of like the offseason to date. And I think this kind of falls in with the deliberate approach you mentioned. He wants to evaluate and see how things are going and then make the smart decision. Do you expect at the trade deadline, uh, you know, after he's had, uh, I think it's in late March, I believe it was set March 25th, I want to say, off the top of my head. Uh, do you think after that period of time, we'll have had a good amount of analysis? Do you think we'll start to see uh, Mark and, and Arturis shape the roster in, in the image that uh, they have? I mean, I'd be just speculating like everybody else. I mean, the one thing you can counter with, uh, you know, the conservative nature of his offseason is uh, the, the quick pivot and, and and great expense to to land Billy Donovan, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and again, this is this is this is how we've got to form these opinions is just body of work, right? So, what does that say? That that tells me that he extremely values coaching, right? Because uh, not to say any of those first year candidates that were that that they were talking to, I, I believe, I don't believe he he said publicly he'd done ten interviews. Um, you know, not to say any of those first year guys might not have been great head coaches and just knocked it out of the park. You don't know. Um, I personally think that Wes Sunsell Jr. would have got the job if Billy Donovan um, uh, had not been become a, a, unexpectedly available, um, but. You know that to me suggests aggressiveness, right? They 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 had done ten interviews, they were pretty far along with a couple of them, and then Billy Donovan becomes available, and is as well documented now, the Bulls are on his doorstep as soon as they're allowed to be able to, uh, you know, at at considerable time and expense, and and then he's clearly also the most expensive coach in the market, and they pay him as such. So that 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 says to me, okay, this, this regime values coaching. And they went out and got, I think what everyone would agree would be the, the best candidate on the open market. Um, but yes, the roster, um, you could, you could say was a conservative approach and, and he has enunciated the reasons why for that. He, he has said, you know, I want to evaluate this roster. He feels that it underachieved. Um, he also has said that he values the flexibility they have next summer with the cap space. Um, so you would think that there are he has ideas for for changes coming. When those happen, I would have no idea whether it's going to be March or next summer or what have you. But yeah, that's that's a big part of obviously his job now. Is uh, I think everyone would agree the Bulls have a lot of the disparate, intriguing young pieces, but they have not coalesced into winning basketball. And it's it's his and Mark Eversley and and their staff's job to to discern what pieces they want to keep and, and what they want to move on from. I just know this, uh, 
I would think within two years, you're going to see a significantly overhauled roster. Uh, when those changes happen or what they are, I, I would have no idea. Yeah, I, I've made the point before that my expectation is that by the time the Bulls have a winning team again, you might have no more than one or two people who are on this team today still on that team uh, at that point. You know, it's yeah, just- so w- let's, let's kick that around a little bit because I actually have had that conversation with other people. What, what's your guess? I mean, I, I guess I'll start. Uh, right. I, I think if you're going to get, let's say, let's say three, let's just for fun, say three. Three guys. Just, just, just for fun, say three names. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go Patrick Williams guaranteed. And I think we're going to agree with that one. Yep. I'm going to go Kobe white. Uh, and then I'm going to pick one of Lowry or Wendell. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to pick Wendell just because I think Lowry's money could get funny next summer. So they're, they're, they're my three. So what, what are your, what are your I, it's interesting. I, I think uh, I agree completely, Patrick, just because he's so young, his contract cheap. Anytime you have control over a rookie who looks promising, you know, they're going to be there for a while. And you can argue the same thing for Kobe White. Um, and then to me, I, the big question is, Zach, whether he's there or not. And uh, maybe that's a, a whole follow-up on its own. I, I think Wendell for sure. I think Lowry is going to be gone. I don't think the Bulls are going to come to terms with Lowry. He just doesn't strike me from what I've heard from our tourists to be a guy who fits into their their mold. I don't think he's very versatile in terms of being able to play multiple positions. I don't think he's a guy who uh, facilitates a lot of offense and moves the ball and shares the ball. And I don't think he's a versatile defender. And so when I think of the, the vision I feel they have for the team, I don't think he's kind of like that multi-tool kind of player that fits into their vision, even though, like you said, he's seven foot. He, in this year so far, he's shooting excellently and he can do a lot on offense for you. And so he's a valuable player. He's just not, I think the type of valuable player that they're going to be the high bidder on, you know, once he's a free agent, someone else, I think will bid more. So I think he'll probably be gone. Um, And then yeah, Zach or Wendell would be my third. I'm interested. What do you think with Zach then you didn't have him in your three. And, and here's kind of the thing I've said about Zach, you're, sort of in this boat right now where you have uh, the ability to trade Zach at this deadline uh, where there's a year and a half left of kind of this really value deal. You could trade him next offseason or next deadline before he's a free agent. And you'll probably get less than now because his contract is less valuable as time comes off of it because it's so cheap. Or you can wait to free agency and you can offer him five one ninety or whatever the maximum is because he's probably going to get that from someone. You don't score... 26 points a game with high efficiency and, and not get the max contract offer, regardless of whether you think he's worth it or not. Like that's just going to be some team will do it. And so you're going to have to pay that. You know, you look at like Tobias Harris or someone, you know, it's hard for me to see why you're going to get that guy, the max and Zach's not going to command the same thing. He's absolutely going to command the same thing if he continues to play at his current level. And so your choices in are, do you want to sign Zach to this monster deal? Do you think he's good enough to, to deserve that deal? Or do you want to trade him now where you get the most value? Or do you want to wait another year and, and decide, like, does he iteratively improve and maybe become closer to be worth that, that monster deal? Uh, I guess, I mean, do you see those general choices as being reasonable? And if so, which of those choices do you think you would lean on personally? Uh, I think those choices sum it up perfectly, exactly accurately. And uh, I mean, we're just, we're arbitrarily throwing out a number of three. I mean, maybe obviously they could keep five people from this. Of course. So so we have no idea. Um, I'll just say this generally about Zach. And I've said this a lot at at our, at our shop. Um, And I think it's pretty well documented in in some of my writings and some of my columns that I've become a pretty staunch Zach defender and supporter. Um, 
mostly uh, in part uh, as a response to kind of like this just uh, over the top like criticism of yeah. him. It's like to me, it's like it. But the catchphrase I always fall back on with Zach is, "You're you're going to miss that dude when he's gone." Yeah. It's like I, I feel like with him people focus way too much on his faults and his shortcomings as opposed to what he does right and his ability to grow. I, I, I think he, I don't, he's 25 and I know he's in year seven. And I know that um, in that time, he has not become a plus def- defender or, you know, a, 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 someone who values ball security, or at least his stats don't show that he values ball security. He makes some poor decisions, but I always say like, it's not his fault. He's, he's on a bad team. Like, you know, LeBron's LeBron James, like won a title with J.R. Smith as his running buddy. You you don't think LeBron James would like to play with Zach Levine. It's like, I, I, I rail against the, the knock that he can't play winning basketball. If you put him on a good team, uh, I think Zach Levine would be very, very good. Uh, um, I don't think his usage would have to be as high. Uh, He's obviously an elite scorer. Um, so I, I think I more rail against the fact that, you know, because he has not been on a winning team, that Zach Levine is a losing basketball player. I, I think if you put him in the right role, um, and I, you know, I, I think the argument that he's is, can't be the number one guy on a championship team, it has some validity to it, but it's not his fault. He's on a bad team, like get some better players. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think he can be part of winning basketballs, I guess, at the end of the day, what I would say about Zach Levine, mostly because I've seen how much he cares how much he works and uh, how accepting he is of coaching. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's the stuff that having spent time around him and having formed a relationship with him that always kind of informs my opinion of Zach Levine. And I'm not saying I'm right, but uh, you know, I do know that uh, there are some people that have been with him uh, from the previous organization he was with that, that value him and that, who's a basketball opinion I respect that, that say he's, he's a winning basketball player as well. He's just never been part of a winning situation. So. Yeah, I, I agree completely with everything you said. I wrote an article, just my first article back. I'm actually unbloggable again. And uh, or I should say I'm bloggable for the first time and writing again. And my first article is on Zach and I outlined this and I said, one of the things is when Zach goes to somewhere else, I, I compare the situation very much to Jimmy Butler. You're two years out before you're going to have to pay a guy a max contract. You, and it's going to be the high level 30% max. And in Jimmy Butler's case, it would have been the super max. You're not sure that that guy is really worth that huge of a contract, but you know, he's awfully good. Like, you know, he's really, really good. And I, and I think Zach is kind of at that same, same boat of like, when you get to 40 plus million a year, you might cringe a little bit at it, but you know, he's really, really good. And you're then stuck. Like, do I want to trade him and, and try and get something now? Because like we saw Jimmy Butler get traded twice more after the Bulls traded him and each team got much less than Chicago did. And in the same case will probably be if you hold on to wait longer. And so do you, but now that Jimmy is gone and we actually got the best return out of the three teams that traded him, we're still as Bulls fans, many Bulls fans are ruining that we traded him. Like, oh my God, how did we not unlock this guy's full potential? He just got a team to the finals. And there is a lot of same talk like Zach will, or Jimmy would never be able to lead a team to the finals. Well, look, that just happened. And not to say that Zach is going to lead a team to the finals necessarily, but I think you're going to see a lot of those same parallels of, one Zach is on another team and he's playing next to a really good facilitator. We've seen even, even just next to Kobe white, where Zach is taking a lot more catch and shoot shots. He's taking a, a fewer dribbles on a lot of shots and he's playing off the ball considerably. His efficiency has just skyrocketed this year. 
And, and Kobe White is not like a master facilitator by any stretch, but just having some other offensive focal point that can initiate offense and create offense. And it gets kind of maybe back to what we were talking about Lowry, that that doesn't happen so much with Lowry uh, of initiating or creating offense. When you have someone else who can do that and Zach is next to them, he's an outstanding off the ball player. And I, and I think he, when he, if he lands on another team, I shouldn't say win because very good chance the Bulls might keep him. But if he lands on another team next to a, an excellent offensive uh, initiator and creator, I think people are going to look at Zach and be like, why couldn't we unlock the same Zach Levine? And what did we do wrong to not have, have kept him? And oh my God, he looks so good right now. Uh, I definitely agree with you on this winning basketball. Um, I don't know. You generally kind of, agree. it sounds like you sort of agree with that take a little bit, at least. hundred percent. I mean, it bas- you're basically saying like a different uh, version of me saying the bulls are going to miss that dude. If you, if you, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, you are it, much it's, more efficient with your words than me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, I completely agree with you about having any kind of facilitator next to him. I mean, you know, that, that's the thing is he's, you know, he's never really been in that situation where he's had a, and that's why I jokingly brought up the LeBron James, J.R. Smith example, but like, I think we're both in agreement that we both can envision Zach Levine being on a winning basketball team. Oh yeah. No and, it's, and people focus on like it, that it's his fault that he hasn't been on that because he's always been forced to play the number one role on bad teams. Right. But, but he, to me could be an efficient uh, piece uh, on a championship basketball team. I, I, I fully agree with that. And, you know, the other thing, and I think you'd agree with this, um, you know, that uh, if they they if they did make a trade, you're not going to get a player. You're you're basically hoping to have, get a player who can be like as good as Zach Levine, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and so um, and that same thing with the Jimmy Butler trade, right? You you were hoping to get somebody as good as Jimmy Butler, and so I, I don't know, man. We'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, I will say that you know the spec. A lot of the speculation started like, you know, it, is he the kind of player that fits how Arturis wants to play? But I would say that, you know, I think his efficiency has gotten better, um, you know, playing off the ball more and he is adaptable and, and is willing to grow. So, you know, I, I think stay, stay tuned on that one. Uh, yeah. You know, he's definitely not in as much ISO situation as he was last year. And that that's the kind of stuff that that kind of drives people crazy sometimes. So um, we'll see how it plays out. You know, um, I'm as curious as, as everybody else, how Arturis ultimately values Zach. Yeah, I think that's the key for for Zach is not having him have to be the ISO player. Like almost all of his bad possessions, in my opinion, come from when he's trying to go into what I call hero ball mode and, you know, lift the offense on his shoulders. And with just Kobe White on the floor next to him, you see him go into that mode less and less and less. And if you had, you know, maybe even that player could be Kobe White two years from now when Kobe White matures and is is better and, you know, just grows as, as all young players grow, even those two might might still pair pair well with each other but someone who's a a strong playmaker would keep zach out of that situation almost all the time and then man i think i can't imagine maybe to to sum it up though do you think zach could be the second best player on a championship team i do and i know people say third best or whatever but i I do i mean he's just you know he he's he's an elite scorer and um you know he uh you know obviously his defense and his turnovers are 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 give give you a little pause there but you know i i just think he can be a winning basketball player and and i personally would like to see it i mean i know our job is the main objective but i've just seen i've seen his care factor and his work ethic pretty consistently since he's been here and uh 
and uh, he he deserves to be on a winning basketball team at some point because he because he really does put a lot of work in and he and he cares. Yeah, and if you if you can be the second best player on a winning team, you're worth that five year thirty percent max contract. Like I'd rather have Zach than Tobias Harris. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I it, it's interesting people talking about trading Zach for James Harden. And uh, I come down to him like, I would never do that. I mean, like, not because I think Zach is better than Harden, but like he costs half as much right now. Uh, Harden is, is let himself get totally out of shape this year. He wouldn't want to be here. You'd have to give up a bunch of other stuff with Zach uh, to make that trade happen. And, uh, you know, it just wouldn't work out. But we'll, we'll see what the Bulls are able to do. Um, you know, I, I, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think uh, I actually sadly have to get back to my day job, which is, which is unfortunate because I'd love to spend like the next six hours talking basketball with you. But I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join the show. Uh, any, any final thoughts you have for the, for the audience? My final thoughts are I enjoyed this so much. We should do it again because uh, it, it has been, we, we go way back and uh, it, it was fun to reconnect. And and like you said, I feel like we should just have like a whole podcast on, uh, on uh, the state of journalism and how things have changed. <laughs> that'll, that'll bore the hell out of the listener. Right? <laughs> well, no matter, no matter how boring it is, I am willing to do anything that allows me to reconnect with you more frequently. That would be, be amazing. I'd, uh, I'd love, love to do it again. So as soon as you have some time in your schedule, please let us know. And um, you can, uh, I guess, I, I guess let, let the people know where you can, they can find you. I know uh, NBCSports.com, KCJ hoop on uh, Twitter. I don't know if there's any, any other bylines that are important to, uh, to figure out not that anyone who follows this podcast doesn't know exactly who you are and where to find you already. Uh, I think that's good enough. And then uh, <laughs> I apologize in advance for any of my TV appearances you might catch. So <laughs> <there you> <laughs> no, no. I, I, look, you, to, to me, honestly, you've been, you've been my, uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite bulls journalist. Uh, like the entire time I've watched the bulls, I, I feel like you're, you remind me as like the journalist equivalent to John Paxson, which might, then now put you in a bad light to a lot of the fan base, the way things have gone. But like, you're very direct, very honest about like, I know exactly when you're speculating. I know exactly when you're reporting. I know exactly, you know, like when you're, when you're just giving an editorial opinion and like, like the lines for like so many people on those topics, like blend. And it's like not transparent of when they're, they're giving something that's sourced and when they're just kind of like riffing on what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think your reporting has always been so high quality and, uh, you know, really appreciate it and, uh, you appreciate you coming on the show. So. All right. And you, you said your day job is an agent, right? So I can negotiate. All right. All right. Thank you, Casey. All right, Doug, take care of yourself. Thanks, man. We'll do it again. Bye.